0: All throughout the the Bible, God is repeatedly throwing out proposals that only a few people ever engage with. The question we must wrestle with is God has proposed, but am I engaged? Am I engaged? Like he's thrown out the offer. He's thrown out the invitation. He's thrown out the invitation for the more, but have I taken him up on that? Have I responded? Have I promised to participate? So often we can seem very, very, very disengaged spiritually. We can numb ourselves out to the pressures of life. We have become professional escape artists, have we not? Think about like the iPhone, (laughs) like like you know, professional escape artists. That's what it does. It numbs us out to the pressures of life. Netflix binging, endlessly scrolling, you know, social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. All of these things are meant to distract us and meant to numb us out to the reality of life. And I, I just, I just wanna say a couple things today. Like, I, I think it is all too easy for us to fall into passive patterns that leave us unengaged. Right now, uh, we're starting a brand new teaching series uh, that I hope in some way um, would really launch us into this new year uh, with uh, with with sort of uh, what I would say like great purpose and great intentionality you know um, I would say that, that a huge part of who I am and why I do what I do is because I I kind of live with this deep belief in me that you and I were made made for more uh, like, like I do like I think that's a huge part of my identity part of like how God's wired me is I, I, I see myself as someone who's like who's meant to sort of kind of call out and pull out the more in you uh, that God has. And, and so over the next three weeks, this is what I, I, I like. I, you know, I, I want us to, to uh, uh, let our heart be stirred. I want you to let your heart be stirred over the next three weeks with a fresh vision for Jesus and his kingdom, all right? Over the next three weeks, let your heart be stirred with a fresh vision for Jesus and his kingdom. Not an old vision not something that, that maybe you, you've relied on in the past, but I want you to let your heart get stirred up with something fresh and something new, a new, uh, um, new vision for Jesus and his kingdom. And then I want that vision to be something that would, that would guide your life in such a way that settling for anything less just would not be an option, right? Just would not be an option. In uh, the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes, what I would say is like one of the most hallmark uh, classic verses in the New Testament. It's a pillar verse for me. It's Ephesians chapter three, uh, verse uh, um, twenty, uh, and and he says this. He says he says now to him who is able. He's talking about Jesus. Uh, how many know that Jesus is is more than able, right? It says uh, now to him who is able. Not praying to any other I- anyone else but Jesus, right? There's nobody else you can pray to who is able, right? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably more. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So like I said, this is a, this is a, a classic verse, a hall of fame verse. And uh, what Paul's really doing here is he's explaining a couple of things. He's explaining uh, primarily that there's more, that there's more. And that the more... Uh, is impossible to measure, like, like that there's more to God, there's, there's more to who he is, there's more to, to following Jesus, there's more to all of this, and that, it is imp- that more is impossible for you and I uh, to measure. And so I came here today really with a question I wanted you to kind of engage with, and the question is this, have you ever considered that God may have more for you? Like, have you ever considered this, that God... The God may have more for you. Have you ever considered that there might be more to following Jesus than what you've ever experienced, that perhaps you've yet to peak, that perhaps you've yet to experience all that there is, at least on a spiritual level? And I want you to think about those questions for a second, okay? I want you to, I want you to kind of engage with those questions just, just for a second to consider that there might actually be more, all right? Consider that there might actually be more. And I want you to then take a second here and just imagine if there is more, what that more might actually look like. Could there be more? Is it possible that God may have more for you than where you're at right now? I was uh, preparing for this message over the last two weeks as we took last Sunday off. I've just been kind of trying to tune into what God wants to do in us and wants to speak to our church, and um, I started to just sort of consider. I started to consider this idea, or this thought. You know, like why is it that some people um, seem to be like 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 all in? Giving, giving like all of their life to following Jesus, and others, and others don't. Like, I started to just wonder that, you know, like I, I, I guess as a pastor, like I get that that perspective. You know, I I see different people following Jesus in different ways, and I just wondered, like, why is it that that there are some people who are like all in? Why is it that there are some people who are like truly giving their whole life to following Jesus? Like he is like what their heart burns for, and then other people don't. And I and I just wondered if it's possible that, you know, like like that there are some people who have found the more and there are others who haven't? There are, other, there are some who have pushed in for the more and discovered the more and there are others who haven't. Like, like how is it that there are some people who, who are just like, they're diving in head first, they're knee deep in the things of God and then that there are others who are just kind of one foot in, one foot out. They're just sort of like, eh, maybe. You know, like, like, like they're, 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 they know enough about God to not give up their faith and to walk away from their faith. They know enough but but there, there there's really not a fire burning in them. There's not like excitement in their faith in any way. And I'm like, how how can these like two people sit in the same room on a Sunday morning? And then how can I how is it that I can preach a sermon to those two people in a room every single week? There are people who are like all in, really wanting to follow God and give God all of their life. And there are those who are just like I I don't know. Like I, I'll give him I'll give him some 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 parts of my life. I'll give him a fraction. I'll give him a piece of the pie. But I I just I just don't know. The Apostle John writes these, these incredible words in, in uh, his gospel, John 3, 30. Says, he says simply, more of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. There's other translations I like where he says, he must become greater, I must become less. Or the translation that says, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Think about, think about this question. What would it look like? Honestly, engage with this question with me. I can kind of see some of you the lighting, what would it look like for there to be an increase of God in your life? What would that look like? For there to be an increase of God in your life and a decrease of yourself, what would that actually look like? In other words, in other words, like, what is it about you that would have to get smaller so that God could get bigger in your life? Like, what would have to happen? Like, like, like I want you to, to think that way with me here this morning I was preparing for this series and um, thinking about this idea, you know that there's a big difference between looking at the picture at, at a picture of the Grand Canyon and then actually seeing it with your own eyes, right? You all understand that, right? I was thinking about this idea right that there's a big difference between like seeing a picture of, you know, I guess the Mona Lisa on a on a, uh, on, a on a computer screen and then like standing face to face with it as it hangs in the Louvre in Paris. Right? There's a big difference, I would imagine. I guess it's a famous painting. Not much of an art guy, but I guess I guess it's it's a big deal. So, I mean, there has to be a difference, right, between, like, seeing it on your screen and, like, seeing it h- as it hangs in, you know, that museum, um, right? There's a, there's a big difference between, you know, watching on YouTube, like, a meteor shower and then looking into the night sky to experience it for yourself. Like, there's a big difference between the two, right? There's a difference between reading about travel and all these, like, exotic destinations, which are, which are pretty cool to look at, and, and, and then hopping on a plane. There's a big difference between the two. And... And so I I guess my my point um, in all of that and and that I really came here to share with you today is that nothing can truly be known through observation only through participation. Nothing can truly be known through observation only through participation. You know, we just came through the Christmas season and uh, I want you to think about the story of the wise men for a minute, you know. I just want to kind of go back to them just for, just for a brief moment here uh, in, in the message. But the wise men, if you remember, they had this understanding that the Messiah had just been born, right? And they, they go out and they, they, they follow the star, knowing that it had happened, knowing that the Messiah had been born wasn't enough for them. Like they also wanted to experience it. And so just having that knowledge wasn't good enough. And so they set out on this journey, right? They, they, they pack up, I'm assuming there's some camels involved, right? And they travel to where uh, Jesus was born. And I think, as I think about the wise men, I think about this reaction to, you know, the, these ancient prophecies that they had understood and this star they see in the sky and, and, how, and how just, just observing that, that the birth had happened wasn't enough for them. I think that it's rare. I think that what we see in the wise men is rare. I, I think that many, many, many people only ever simply observe Jesus or they observe church I think that few ever really participate, like like in an all-in way, like like in, in a way that 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 is 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 like, you know, where, where they're where they they're in over their heads in the things of God. Like I think that few actually really participate on that level, where where all of they are, you know, all of who they are, and you know, all that they have is really is really consumed by God. And he's he's really the thing that matters most to them. I w- I want to give you a thought today. Uh, as we continue, I think that there is more to Jesus, way more to Jesus than going to church and trying to behave yourself. Way, way more to Jesus than going to church and trying to behave yourself. Like, like, think about this for a second. How many of you would say that you regularly, regularly enjoy deep fellowship with God? Deep fellowship with God. How many of you would say that it's pretty normal for you to thrive spiritually? Pretty normal for you to just be, like, awesome, connected to God, thriving on a spiritual level. Listen to me. I want you, to, I want you just to hear me, okay? I want your imaginations to just, to just awaken today as we talk about God. There is more to Jesus. There is more to Jesus. And, and it is only found, in my, in my opinion, it's only found through, like, deep engagement, through participation. You can't just like, you can't just watch from a distance. You can't just be content to watch other people engage with God and let that be enough for you. You can't be content to just come and experience God through me and and the work that I've done on my own this past week to prepare for today. You have to allow yourself to participate in the things of God yourself. You can't just experience God through other people and their experiences. You have to go after God yourself and have to participate in that and experience who he is for yourself, this is what Paul really talks about in Ephesians chapter one. He says these these words. He says, "I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. So, so Paul, right, the apostle, and and he's he's this father over all these churches in the Mesopotamia, you know, region. He he uh, uh, he is, you know." Concern for these people, he, he he and so he prays for them. These people who are in his care, and he, he prays for them. He says, "I keep asking that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you could know Him better. Because Paul doesn't just want them to know what He knows. He doesn't. He's not. He doesn't want them just to, just to know the things that He knows. He doesn't just want us to know what what He knows, right?" He wants us to, to know for ourselves. He wants us to experience these things for ourselves. And so Paul is essentially telling these, these people in Ephesus that you were made for more. You're made for more. Like, like you, may, you may know God on some level right now, but trust me, there is a way for you to know him better. And he says, he says I keep asking that God would give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that this can happen. And so you may you may have experience with God. You may have you may may have grown up in church or have some sort of affiliation with church, and you may you, you may have some sort of uh, intellectual understanding of God and all of these things. And Paul is saying, "Look, I want God to give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you can know Him better than you've ever known Him before." And it's possible. And so here's here's my thought for you today: a question to engage with. What would it look like for you to know God better? What would it look like for you to know God better? Well, let's just assume. A minute that each of you actually want to know God better, right? Let's just assume that that's that's what's going on. Let's pretend for a minute that this is what all of us actually want to know God better. What would have to happen for that to become a reality for you? Every one of us, what would it look like for you to know God better? Not just informationally, right? Not just through observation, but through active participation, through engagement. What would it look like for you to know? God better. Here's what I think. If you're taking notes, I think many of us will pause our spiritual progress because we're either comfortable with where we are or we're terrified of what's coming next. I think this happens for a lot of people. I think that this is the this this is probably the the uh, you know the, the common uh, narrative of the vast majority in the Western Church. They to a place where they either become comfortable with God. This is enough, and I'm and I'm satisfied. I'm okay with this. Like like it's 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 uh, you know. Um, I've given enough to it. I don't need to give all, all of myself to it. Or they just they just get to a place of understanding that if I go much further, it's gonna cost me a lot more than I'm willing to pay, and I'm terrified of what God's gonna ask next of me. How many of you fundamentally understand that when you pause something, there's still more to it, right? Like like you think about a, a movie, you press pause. You think about a song, you hit pause. Like there is more to it. There's more to still be played or more to still be watched. And so on a spiritual level, I think this happens all the time with people. We either become comfortable or we become nervous. We become scared. And so we pause and we never experience the rest. We never, we never finish where God wants to take us. And, and so I, I, one of the things I've learned over the years, like just in, in, in pastoring and in watching people is that comfort and fear are the things that always stop progress in people. So they, they get to a place of just being like like comfortable with where they're at and like, this is good enough. Or they compare themselves to maybe where where somebody else is at. Maybe they compel- compare themselves to like the family they grew up in. They're like, well, I'm certainly further along than they are. And so they start to feel good about themselves and their spiritual growth and development and think I'm fine. Or they compare themselves to their neighbors or their friends or something like that instead of comparing themselves to the holiness of God and going like, man, I, I, I have a long ways to go. And so we stop our progress because we start to get comfortable or we stop our progress because we start to get uh, afraid or nervous or concerned that God is asking more of us than we want to uh, give, give, give up. In the Old Testament, there's a man named Abraham. He's, he's a pretty big deal. Um, if, you didn't, if you didn't know that, he's, he's a big, big, big deal. Uh, he's, he's the father of many nations. He's the, the father of the Israelites. And um, I think he understood this idea that comfort and fear are the things that stop progress. And when faced with the opportunity to pause his progress, he refuses. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to give you five verses here. Uh, It says, the Lord said to Abram, so Abram was his name before God changed it to Abraham, right? So um, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, okay? Your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So that's the ask right there. That's the more, Go to the land, I will show you. I will, here's, here, here's the rest of the more. Verse two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, okay? I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. All right, there's, so there's obviously more that God has for Abraham than what he's experiencing in his life. And in verse four, it says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, who was his nephew, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from, uh, from Haran. Like, like, I don't know, too many people who are looking for uh, an adventure at 75 years old. Uh, most people are comfortable uh, at 75. Since he took his wife, Sarai, her name would later be changed to Sarah, his nef- uh, nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had uh, accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And look at this, it says, and they arrived there. And they arrived there. So there's obviously more that God had for Abraham, but it required him to leave where he was and to go to where he had never been. Abraham could have continued with where he was at in life. I think he could have settled. I think he was a man of great wealth, like, I think he could have just maintained where he was at. He could have, he could have remained very, very, very comfortable for the rest of his life. But, but one of the things I've learned over the years of following Jesus is that, is that to follow something requires movement. Like, 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 that's a basic understanding, but to, like, follow something requires movement movement. Like, we keep taking steps as followers of Jesus. We keep moving as followers of Jesus because we don't want to get to a point in our life where we are, we are essentially past tense followers of Jesus. We want to remain present tense followers of Jesus. I don't want the narrative of my life and my spiritual journey to be, hey, there was a time in my past when I was actively following. No, 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 no. I, I, want, I want the narrative of my life and my spiritual journey to be that I am actively following Jesus. Because following requires movement. Abraham could have looked at God's request and been like, man, that's just too crazy. There's no way. He could have allowed fear to hold him back, but he never would have experienced or discovered the more that God had for him. I want you just to hear with me this morning that you and I, like, you're made for more. You're made for more. And so I think, I think a lot of the story of Abraham, you know, it's a pretty remarkable story. Story. It's it's a story of faith. It's a story of following God wherever he asks us to go. And I want you to think about Abraham, okay, for a minute. I want you to go back to think about Paul for a second. Paul says, I, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know God better, right? And, and 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 I and I think about that. And I think that in order for us to really know God better, it's gonna require uh, what I what I would just call today, if you're taking notes, more engagement. It's gonna require more engagement. To really know God better is gonna require more engagement. And this is what happens with Abraham. He starts moving in the direction God has asked him to go and he's fully engaged. He's fully engaged. How many of you know that there is a really big difference between uh, a proposal and an engagement? Right? You think there's a pretty big deal? Anybody? Uh, Just because you propose, let me say this, just because you propose to someone doesn't necessarily mean that you're engaged, am I right? Like an engagement requires the other person to respond positively to the invitation right I mean that, that, that's that's pretty important you're not going to be engaged without a positive response so let me say it this way a, a proposal is totally one-sided it's totally one-sided it's one person making a request of another person and it's risky and you're saying hey hey I, I would I would very much like to invite you to you know, in, engage with me and only me, forever. Right? It's a. It's you're putting yourself out there. It's a bit. It's a bit risky. A proposal is one person making a request, right? But engagement requires someone else promising to participate. That's what makes it an engagement. Think of all the proposal signs, you know, at concerts or sporting events where you see someone bring a big sign and they're like asking some celebrity to marry him or whatever, you know, like, like yeah, I guess you could call that a proposal. But without another person, specifically the celebrity, willing to participate, it does not end in an engagement. Are, are you understanding where I'm going with this? Okay. So I started to think about this and, and I want you to look at this thought I have. All, all, all throughout the Bible, I think we see this. All throughout the the Bible, God is repeatedly throwing out proposals that only a few people ever engage with. The question we must wrestle with is, God has proposed, but am I engaged? Am I engaged? Like, he's thrown out the offer. He's thrown out the invitation. He's thrown out the invitation for the more, but have I taken him up on that? Have I responded? Have I promised to participate uh, in, in the... Uh, in the invitation not not let me let me make it clear not am I saved, but am I, am I engaged? am I engaged? So a proposal can be one-sided but an engagement cannot and uh, and so here here's a thought for you you are made for more, but it will require a higher level of engagement. I believe that So often we can seem very, very, very disengaged spiritually. We can numb ourselves out to the pressures of life. We have become professional escape artists, have we not? Think about like the iPhone, (laughs) like, like, you know, professional escape artists. That's what it does. It numbs us out to the pressures of life. Netflix binging, endlessly scrolling, you know, social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is, playing whatever game, Candy Crush. I don't even know if that's a game people play anymore, but whatever it is, um, all of these things are meant to distract us and meant to numb us out to the reality of life. And I, I just, I just want to say a couple things today. Like I, I think it is all too easy for us to fall into passive patterns that leave us unengaged. It's all too, all too easy to fall into these passive patterns where we're uninterested, unintentional, we're bored. Ephesians 2:10, Paul writes and he says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So these aren't spur of the moment good works. These are these are ideas that God has had for you that he's prepared in advance for you to do. So this is the invitation, right? This is the request. This is the proposal. How many of you are maybe not quite sure that you're actually doing the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do? Anybody ever wonder that? I think, I think maybe I am. You never stumble into the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You never stumble into those things. It won't happen. You have to respond to the invitation. You have to engage with God and his thoughts and his ideas and his plans for your life. So look at this uh, with me. In order to better engage, we need a plan. We need a plan. So we need a we need a plan for engagement. What I mean by this is like, I, I am way more in, engaged with my kids when I intentionally plan to engage with them. Does that make sense? Like, like uh, I am more engaged with my wife when I intentionally plan to engage with her. So I am more engaged with my faith. I am more engaged with God when I intentionally plan to engage with him. Am I making sense? So oftentimes we're not intentional. Oftentimes we kind of just take life as it comes and, and, uh, and, and we find that we get to a point where like, you know, the, the outcome isn't really what we would have wanted. Uh, but had we had a plan, had we had an intentional plan to engage differently, we might have produced what we had wanted all along. So we need a plan for engagement. I think I think the three main things we have to uh, I think up our engagement with, and I want to encourage you over twenty twenty three is is to engage more with God. Uh, obviously, I think that's a, that's 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 a uh, couldn't be more more you know stated. Uh, I think I think it's it's vital. Uh, to engage with God at a higher level, engagement with family uh, is another one, and I don't just mean like. like here, here's what I mean by this. Okay, like, like I think a lot of you are engaged with your kids on, on some level, like. But that does not mean like like running them around to like activities it doesn't mean like like supporting them and cheering for them at, at whatever game or activity or whatever they're in it doesn't mean that at all, even though like you can care about their interests what i 'm talking about here is like engagement on a on a spiritual level with them like 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 most of us have an idea a dream or an idea of like what we hope for our kids in the future in terms of of like career and finances and education and and, and the kind of kind of citizen or person they will be in society but but very few parents ever really stop to pause and to think and to imagine and to consider what kind of, what their spiritual life with God could be like and how, and how we can, can, can partner with God to help facilitate that uh, as, as, they're, as, they're, as they're growing up. And so I, want, I, want, I believe that there should be greater engagement with God, greater engagement with your family, and then, and then also greater engagement with the church. Truly, like I, like I think most people don't understand like, like the, the role that the church is meant to play in, in terms of their spiritual development and their engagement with God. And I want to encourage that in you today. So here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that very few people have a conscious plan for developing their spiritual lives. Very few people. Uh, Most people have like an unconscious plan for developing their spiritual lives. Most Christians are not intentional. Most function on autopilot or some sort of form of cruise control. They have good hopes. I think most people have good hopes. They have good intentions. that They'll one day, someday. Uh, But there is, for most people, there is no plan at all. Uh, without a plan, here is what happens. This may sound familiar. Uh, we, we end up defaulting to our crammed schedules, our endless to-do lists, demanding jobs and families, the constant noise, information overload. Our anxieties keep speeding up, not slowing down, and there's just not enough room. There's not enough room for God. There's not enough room for church. There's not enough room for the things of God to be, to be kind of stirred up in our lives. Look at this, this thought with me here today. My experience as a pastor has shown me that many of my friends and church members aren't undone by poor theology or a lack of biblical information. Instead, we often fail to grow spiritually because we haven't planned and made space for a deep abiding relationship with God. Like most people believe like the right stuff. It's not bad theology. Most people who I have witnessed over the years uh, come to a real crisis of belief, crisis of faith, um, has has been the people who who never made proper space for a deep, abiding relationship with God. And so look what Paul says here in Ephesians three sixteen. He says this. He says, "I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, in your inner man." in your inner, in, inner being, your inner person. In other words, Paul is, is really saying like that there, there's a side of you that everybody else sees and then there's like your inner person. Then there's like the real you, right? And the real you in, in many ways is your inner person. It's your inner being. It's the spiritual part of you that is made to connect with God, is designed to connect with God. And, and it's my experience, if you're taking notes, that far too many people leave the development of their inner life to chance. Like, like I said before, maybe there's good hope Maybe there's good intention, but there is no plan like like yeah maybe i'll maybe I'll become the person that God has for me or whatever. I don't know anybody who has ever done that in any other place in life, and somehow we think that that's going to work in terms of of following God and it just it just doesn't work that way. You know this is the time of year when people are pretty focused on resolutions. Pastor Josh mentioned that during communion. Um, resolutions or the idea with resolutions is that most people have this desire to do something different, right? Like to make a change so that this coming year doesn't just look the same as last year. And so in some sense, there is a dissatisfaction that they have with, with uh, how things went the prior year, uh, at least on some level, maybe not entirely, but for a lot of people, there's this, this desire that they have to not repeat everything all over again. So they just go on and they make a resolution, right? It's a goal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something different this year so that it doesn't all look the same at the end of, of the year. And I wanna tell you that in my opinion, like I think resolutions are okay. I think they're fine, but, uh, but I think there's something better. I, I, I think resolutions could even be useful in, 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 in certain cases, but I think there is something better. There's actually an ancient practice in the church um, that I think is far greater than just a resolution. And it's called a rule of life. It's called a rule of life. Now, a rule of life, if you've got that on the screen, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything you do. A rule of life, this is an ancient practice, right? It, it's, it's an intentional, conscious plan that you develop to keep God at the center of everything you do, okay? So... A rule of life has a rich history in Christian tradition. It's been traced back to the early monastic movement in the fourth century, uh, and the most well-known rule was written by Benedict in the sixth century. The rule of St. Benedict influenced uh, Eastern and Western uh, Christians uh, for the past like 1,500 years or more. Many reformers and evangelical patriarchs have practiced similar spiritual routines without using that same title, but it is essentially an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything you do. So... Let me just explain why this has been a, uh, like a long-held uh, practice in the church, I mean, for 1,500 years. It's because, whether you realize this or not, we are expected, as Jesus followers, to order our lives around spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. Like, we are expected to do this, to order our lives around these things. So when we say yes to Jesus, we are Saying yes to this call to order our life in such a way that the love of Jesus comes before everything else, like it's 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 like the most important thing, like like not just receiving His love but experiencing His love and and, and then and then demonstrating His love to the world, like, like like to order our lives in such a way that the love of Jesus comes first. And when we do this, when this happens, when we order our lives in such a way that that uh um that God is at the center of everything we do, our life starts to hold this possibility of being transformed into a gift, right, for our families, for our friends, for our coworkers, for our church. And so a rule of life is not a goal. I wanna be sure it's not the same thing as a resolution. It's not a goal, but it is a a structure or a rhythm for our lives that enables us to simply just... uh, pay attention to God in everything we do. Like, think about what that would do for you. Think about what that would do for you if, if, if whatever you did in a given day, in a given week, like, like, what if whatever it was, you were able to still pay attention to God in everything you did? Like, that's way different than just like a, a goal or a resolution. That's way different than a goal to just like read your Bible more this year, you know, or, or, or whatever. Like, to, to develop a framework, a structure that, Would allow you and enable you to pay attention to God in everything you do. And what happens is is that this rule begins to to, to serve our desire to abide in and experience the love of Jesus in like all the time, not just compartmentalizing our spirituality like Sunday mornings and if you come on Wednesdays. So instead of just making a resolution in hopes of doing better this year than last year, a rule of life is an intentional plan for how to order your life in a way that assists your desire to follow Jesus rather than hinder it. And this is what Daniel did. If you remember the Old Testament, prophet Daniel, uh, we talked about him a little bit on Christmas Eve, but if you remember the story of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies, they conquer Jerusalem, right? And they carry off most of the city's inhabitants as slaves. And one of those young, uh, young people is a teenager named Daniel. Uh, He's he's taken away as a as a uh, into exile as a slave into Babylon. He's cut off from his family. He's cut off from his teachers, friends, food, culture, language. Daniel Daniel was brought into the Babylonian court of the king uh, because he was obviously very talented. As you read about him, he he was a very gifted young man, and uh, and because of of how talented and gifted gifted he was, he's he's sent off to the best university that Babylonian uh, uh, Babylon has to offer. He studied a completely foreign and, pa- and pagan way of viewing the world. History, mathematics, medicine, religion, literature, whatever, you know, he, he learned about pagan myths, Babylonian myths, astrology, sorcery, magic, all the things that were banned in Israel, things that were not allowed. Uh, he, he, he was taught in all of these things. Pagan priests and counselors educated him in their wisdom and their religion, in fact, in, Babylon, in Babylon's uh, effort to fully assimilate Daniel into their way of life, they even had his name changed from uh, his Hebrew name and he was given a Babylonian name, B- Belteshazzar. And so think about this, this thought. Think about what's going on with, with Daniel, right? He's, he's taken from Jerusalem. He's taken from uh, you know, where he's from and he's brought into Babylon and there's like an intentional strategy there, there's, a, there's a goal. Like Babylon had one simple goal for Daniel, right? It was to eliminate Daniel's distinctiveness as a follower of God by absorbing him into the values of their culture. That, that's, that's, what, that's what Babylon was doing, to, to uh, eliminate his distinctiveness as a follower of God and to absorb him into the values of the culture. And that is, that is everything you're facing right now as you walk out here today, as you, as you engage with the world. There is, there is a agenda. There is a force at work in the world that is doing its very best to eliminate your distinctiveness as a follower of Jesus. And the more you can assimilate and look just like everybody else, the, least, uh, the less effective you can really be for God. And so how exactly is Daniel able to resist the enormous power of Babylon, right? He, he has a plan. He has a rule of life. He did not leave the development of his interior life, his inner person, to chance. He refused to do that. You can read his story, right? He's he 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 has a plan. Like he, he even though he's in this hostile environment, he has a plan and he continues to meet with God. He orders his entire life around loving God. He refuses to engage with certain activities and foods that were not okay for for Jews to to engage with, and and he has this plan, and the plan enables him to thrive in a hostile environment, and so. Um, couple things I, I want I to continue to, to share with you in terms of a rule of life and then uh, give you some, some uh, practicals on how to do this. Um, but a rule of life is not a list of rules. It's really important that you understand that. I don't want you to be intimidated here by the word rule, like like a rule of life. I don't want you to be intimidated by that. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. This is not what we're talking about when we use the word rule. The word rule that we're using uh, comes from the Latin word regula, regula, regula. Uh, which literally means a straight piece of wood. Uh, It's also a a word that is used for a trellis. So think about a trellis, right? Uh, Those of you who uh, have a green thumb, you know, in our application this morning, the word rule means uh, a framework or a trellis, a structure that allows a plant or a grapevine to become attached and to grow upward and outward and to bear fruit. And so uh, a trellis supports and provides structure for the vine to grow. If you know anything about that, without a trellis, the vine will stop growing. It will begin to wither. It will eventually die. And so a rule of life creates a framework, a structure. I want you to think of it not in terms of like a resolution or I'm going to set a whole bunch of goals this year on on how to put God at the center of my life. I want you to think more along having an intentional framework that puts God at the center of all that you do. So again, if you're taking notes, it's not about detailed to-do lists that must be maintained. A rule of life instead gives you the opportunity to prayerfully discern what roles and responsibilities the Lord has given you and to organize your life in the manner most conducive to spiritual growth and depth in him. A rule is a way to begin with the end in mind, an intentional conscious plan, like I said, to keep God at the center of everything you do. So how do we do this? right? How do we create a plan that keeps God at the center of everything we do? How do we actually enact this? There's, there's two ways, two things you got you to keep at the center of developing a plan for your life, your spiritual growth and development. Number one is the starting point and foundation to discovering the more, which we talked about, and to creating a successful rule of life is a desire to be with God and to love him. Like, that has to be the starting point. Like you, cannot, you cannot develop any kind of like rule of life about trying to keep God at the center without, without starting from a place of really desiring more of God and desiring to be with Him and to love him. Like that is, that is fundamental. And let me just say like for those of you like this isn't weird, by the way. This is actually a command that we would love the Lord our God right with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, right You understand that. So um, Sky, Sky Jathani uh, says this. He says the goal of Christianity is not to get to heaven. The goal of Christianity is Jesus himself, right? That's, that's the goal. Uh, the go- if the goal is heaven, then there's nothing for us to do but wait. Uh, the go- uh, if the goal is Jesus, and there's much to do with the time that is not guaranteed. Um, so this motivation to create a rule of life can't come from any other place than loving God and, and, and uh, desiring to be with him. Um, it can't come from uh, uh, like a need to, to prove it or a need to perform. Can't come from a desire to sort of will your way towards something else. Uh, It has to come from a deep desire to be with God and to love Him. And then, then, uh, number two, uh, so the two two things you have to kind of check off before you begin you have to have this this, uh, desire to be with God and to love Him. And two, you have to understand that we don't make goals, we make commitments. Within a rule of life, we're not making goals, we're making commitments. I'm making an agreement. I'm making an agreement with with God and with myself, a commitment with God and myself around uh, these 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 uh, basic elements of a rule. And so, um, what I want to do here for five minutes um, is I want to just give you a, 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 like a framework to start with, okay? Some things to consider. And so, uh, the basic elements of a rule of life uh, are, are, are this: if you can throw that screen up. Uh, you kind of build this framework or this trellis around the, the, these five things. Number one, like my relationship with God. Two, my personal life, my health, emotional, uh, physical health, all of that stuff. Uh, my personal relationships; those, those are critical. My church, uh, the mission of God in the in the earth, and and then my work. And so, what happens here? What I want what I want to do is give you some kind of some starters for how to do this. And Uh, So number one is like my relationship with God. And what we do here is we honestly assess where we're at and then we make a commitment with God. Not a goal, we make a commitment. So my relationship with God, like like here's some questions and you can take a picture of this. Like in what ways am I enjoying Jesus right now? That's a great question. Like in what ways am I enjoying Jesus right now? How am I growing spiritually right now today? Like how, how am I actually growing? Is there any movement, right? To follow requires movement. So is there any movement right now in my life? What are the spiritual disciplines I need to anchor myself into a life with God? Like, what, what do I need from a spiritual discipline perspective? And then, and then here's a great question. If I stay on this growth trajectory for the foreseeable future, where will it take me? Will it take me anywhere? Is there any kind of movement in terms of, like, like my relationship with God? Do I have any kind of plan in place that is moving me forward? It doesn't, doesn't mean that you got to be moving quick. I just want to know if there's movement. And so these are some great questions to really, to really honestly assess and then, and then what you do is you, you build a commitment around your relationship with God. This is, this is what it will be like. This is what it will be like. Not what I hope it will, you know, this year will, will, will look like, but this is my commitment in my relationship with God, it's gonna look like this. The second one is uh, my personal life, my health. So here's some questions for assessing. What are the practices of self-care that I need to care for my body and to nurture my soul? Like, am I physically healthy? How often do I exercise? Do I get adequate rest and sleep? We think, let me let me just tell you like if, if you if you uh, you ever had a problem like praying, like is prayer ever been like who who for anybody here like has prayer been easy? Like like nobody right. So if prayers have been you know the you know, number one thing I tell people like if they struggle with prayer like go to bed earlier. You know like like there's a reason why prayer isn't isn't easy for you like you're tired right. So do I get adequate rest and sleep? Am I emotionally healthy? Is a great question. And then here, here's two, like, do I have any unresolved conflict in my life or any unprocessed grief? And so in terms of honestly assessing where I'm at in terms of my personal life, my health, my emotional health, all that stuff, like, what is it that I'm carrying? And is it possible that these things are affecting, you know, uh, me on, at some sort of spiritual level, not just physical and emotional? And so what I, what I do here is I don't, just, I don't just make a goal, like, I make a commitment. Like, I'm not going to carry unresolved conflict, like, like, all year long anymore, I'm not, I'm not gonna let myself just go through this next year with unprocessed grief, I'm gonna deal with these things, I'm gonna process them, I'm gonna make sure my body is healthy to get me and to take me to where God wants me to go. The third one is personal relationships, okay? Again, this is the framework, I want you to see these, these, these bold uh, statements, these are, this is, we're building a trellis, a framework so that, so that God can kind of exist at the center of everything you're about. So what core relationships do I need in this season of life to support me on my spiritual journey? Like what are those relationships? Am I connected relationally to other people who deeply love Jesus? What can I do to invest in my marriage this next year? What do I want my kids to learn and value before they transition into adulthood? What kind of relationships do I want to have with my kids? And then I guess if you're not married, you know, what kind of what kind of relationship would you like to have? with your parents or your siblings, you know? Um, think about that. You know, uh, what, what do you need to, uh, to really thrive, you know, with, with relationships in your life? So I want you to honestly assess and then make some commitments around these things. Like maybe, maybe, maybe this is how it's been, but this is not how it's gonna be. I'm gonna make a commitment around this. Uh, I want to make a covenant with God and and, uh, with these relationships to hold them at such a high value that uh, they're not just going to be things I make time for when when it's convenient, but I'm going to invest in in a way that uh, ultimately changes my relationships with them, but it affects my relationship with God because I need people to thrive spiritually. You need people in your life on a deep level to thrive spiritually. It will not work without this. The fourth one is around my church and my mission, Church and mission. Um, so again, like a lot of people struggle with this one because because we live in a we live at a time where most people um, kind of view all of their spirituality as like deeply personal, and, and they don't understand that this is like a, like a it's meant to be a shared experience. And and part of the way we share this is is like through the church. We express this through the church, and so some questions for assessment. What are the gifts, passions, and burdens within within me that God wants me to express for the blessings of others? In what ways is God inviting me to serve him at this stage of my journey? In what ways can I use my time, talents, resources, and gifts for others? What passions and desires has God placed within me? And then what is my place in the great evangelizing work of the church? Like, honestly assess where I am at and then make a commitment around church and the mission of God in the earth and make sure that I, man, I don't just go through another year the same way I did last year, but I'm gonna make a commitment to God. I'm gonna make a covenant with my church that, that uh, you know, my gifts, my passions, my burdens that God has put in me, they're gonna like show up. They're gonna manifest in my church this next year. They're gonna, they're gonna be things that I allow God to use uh, to, to make a difference. I'm gonna engage with God, I'm gonna engage with my church in a high level, and uh, I'm gonna watch the passions and desires that God has placed in me uh, be used to affect other people for the kingdom of God. And then, and then the fifth one is work, it's your work, It's where we all spend the majority of our time. Think about these questions for assessment. How much of my identity is found in what I do? How much of my identity is found in what I do? How are my work habits? What are my work habits like? And then what are those habits actually producing in my life? Honest assessment. The fourth one, am I, constantly, am I consistently able to set aside my work for a 24-hour period each week? Am I consistently able to do this? You know what Sabbath is all about? Sabbath is where I intentionally do nothing and Jesus still loves me. I intentionally do nothing for one day and Jesus still loves me not about performance, not about getting all this stuff done. It's like I set it down. I trust him that I've done enough. And I, and I, I set it aside. I say, God, take, take my work for the week. I'm going to set it aside, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just rest in you. I'm going to experience your love. Like, you don't need me to do one more thing. You don't need me to keep striving and keep performing. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set this down for you. And so, so think about this. Like, th- these five things, my relationship with God, my personal life and my health, my personal relationships, my um, church, the mission of God in the earth and my work. Like we make commitments around these things, not just goals and resolutions, like to do better and try better, but commitments with God. Like this is what it's going to look like. And this is what it needs, needs, to, uh, n- needs to become. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is to just, you know, over these 21 days is to take some intentional time with God around all five of these things. All five of these things. I want you to go through some of these questions and just start to evaluate and assess, like, where are you really? And ask God what that commitment should look like. Ask God in terms of your relationship with him, God, what kind of commitment, what, kind of, what, what should this commitment look like? Like, like and not, not just for a year, but like, like honestly, for my life, like, like I, 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 I wanna build a framework. I wanna b- build a rule of life that puts you at the center. And so what does this really need to look like? What kind of commitment do I need to make here? in my personal life, my health, my emotional health. God, I, I don't want to keep, keep hanging on to stuff from the past and, 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 and letting everything that's been done to me kind of just railroad my life. So like, I, I want to make a commitment with you, God, about, about my personal health, about getting healthy, physically and emotionally and processing all these things, personal relationships, my church. Like, honestly, ask God, assess it. Like, what kind of commitment do I need to make in terms of my church this year? My involvement there and the value that I have given it in my life around my work, what kind of commitment do I need to make with my work so that it's actually like balanced and it's healthy and I can thrive as a man of God or as a woman of God with what's been asked of me and what's been placed on my life. This is what we do. This is what we do. Would you stand? I, I've just blitzed through that, so I, I apologize. Uh, this, feels like maybe you're, you're drinking out of a, 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 a you know, fire, fire hose or something, I, I apologize. Like, if you'd like no, the notes, just email me. I can send some of this all over to you. But would you just bow your heads for a second? Father, I thank you for who you are. There's none who compare to you. I ask God in this place that you would just begin to open up the imagination of your people to consider what the more might actually look like. I pray you'd put a curiosity in our spirit this morning, God, to wonder if there's maybe more that you have for us than what we've ever experienced. And I pray for great courage in this room to actually to actually step out in faith, to actually put movement to my faith, to to to, to follow you in a way I, we haven't followed you before, God. Would you just stir up in this room right now a fresh vision of you, oh Jesus, and your kingdom, and the things you're about, and the things you wanna do, and, and, and God, I pray that that vision of who you are, what you're about, your kingdom, it would, it, would, it would guide our life in such a way that we'd never let ourselves settle again for anything less than that. We give you thanks today, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.